This is episode 39 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. This episode goes back to the 2008 Annual Enrichment Conference, Catalytic Leadership with Bill Thrall. This is session one, Monday night. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight. Luke, I would say to you that I am uh, really encouraged with the program you introduced to us tonight. One of the um, incredible needs in the body of Christ in this country is the development of next generation leaders. And so I just want to just commend you. I really do. I just think it's an amazing program as I hear it, especially in the lives of these two young leaders. As I get a chance to share with you tonight, I like to move around a little bit when I talk. And um, I'm with Leadership Catalyst, and one of the things that we do is that we build, attempt to build and restore trust in leaders and those they influence. And sometimes people will say to Bruce or me, um, is that all you do? And then we'll say, you try it sometime. And uh, as I get a chance these next couple of days to share with you, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about God's grace and its relationship to trust. So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 5. That's where I'd like to begin. And I'd like you to be thinking about these three words at the very top of this your session one outline should say authenticity and it should look something like this. And First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And verse number 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'd like you to be thinking about those verses. I'd like you to think about the promise, a promise in those verses. And this is the promise that God gives grace to the humble. That's God's promise. As I look at that verse, therefore, it becomes really important to me to understand what humility is. If God's going to give grace to the humble, then I'd like to know what that is. And as I share with you tonight, I'd like us to use this definition for humility. You can write it down there. Humility is trusting God Humility is trusting God and others with me. Humility is trusting God and others with me. I'd like to suggest to you that when we trusted Jesus to be our Savior, we were in fact committing an act of humility. We were, in fact, in expressing trust, expressing our humility. Do I trust God 
with me. I'd also like us tonight, as we go through these couple days, to be thinking about grace as not something that God invented because we sinned, but grace is, in fact, an expression of God himself, and it's the very realm in which God himself lives, and that we are invited into. You know this verse in Colossians that says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. The process of our salvation is that when we trust Jesus by his grace, we are saved. But grace is not just the means to our salvation. It is the basis for the way we live. It is, in fact, the means to our maturity as saints, and it is, in fact, absolutely necessary for our relationships. That's the part of the breath of God's grace. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories that I have permission to tell. We've had the privilege of doing a lot of work with the Salvation Army. They're an amazing organization. They are huge, bigger than I could have ever imagined when I first started to have the privilege of working with them. Some of you may know this, but in the United States, the Salvation Army has 90,000 employees. I bet you didn't know that. I didn't either. Well, the first time that I met with them, after I met with the commissioner, he asked us to begin our work in this area of trust at their seminary, their training school in New York. And I'd never met the staff before. I, the commissioner had assigned to me a, a colonel to kind of help me work my way through this large organization. And so I was sitting across the table from two women and two men in their uniforms. And, and uh, before we could even begin the meeting, they just had some of our material. And the vice principal of the training school, this is how the meeting started. He said, um, Bill, I want you to know that my grandfather was a salvationist before me. My father was a salvationist before me. And uh, I'm 42 years old, and when I was eight years old, my father said to me, you never trust anyone in the Salvation Army. And the colonel was a little embarrassed, and the colonel said, well, Bill, what he really means is, and everybody at the table says, we all know what he means, but why is it true? Why is it true? It's a great story, ending to the story, that's why I tell it. Because after we'd gone into a couple sessions of the training over maybe a year, that same person stood up in front of about 40 officers and he said, I want to tell you, with many tears, he said, I want to tell you that I so regret that I had spent such a long time in this organization as a Christian choosing to trust no one. And today, he said, I want to learn to trust you. I'm going to suggest that um, if we don't catch the significance of the relationship of these words, 
Many of us are going to continue to live lives in which we trust no one. And I'm going to talk about that risk as I go through this time with you tonight. My wife is here with me, and my wife's name is Grace. Isn't that a great... <laughs> God has a great sense of the obvious for me. Uh, um, and five years into our marriage, and tomorrow at our luncheon, we'll be talking more about this story. Five years into our marriage, I came home from work. In those days, I was a young CPA, and... Um, and a management consultant. And as I came home from work, I parked our car and I walked to the door and my wife Grace was walking out. And um, she said to me, you don't need to go into the house, Bill. Um, I just, we need to go for a drive. There's something I need to talk to you about. And uh, she'd met me at the door many times, but never with that message. And uh, I tried to buy some time immediately. I said to her, well, what about the kids? She said, it's okay, mom and dad are here. They'll take care of the kids. Please, we just need to go for a drive. I want to tell you, a very interesting thing happened. I want to be honest about this. Um, the guilt chip went up. And our car was from here to this young couple right here. And I walked from the door to the car. And I brought up on the little guilt chip everything that I knew I was hiding that she might have found out about. And I was building a defense. And all she said was, we need to go for a drive. <laughs> and we got in the car. And we live in Phoenix. And she had a little spot picked out in Scottsdale. And so we... We drove to this spot, and uh, all the way there for 35 minutes, she chose to not say anything, and I wasn't going to. And I started to perspire into my suit. And um, when we parked, my wife uh, said some things that God used to literally change my life, some of which I wasn't prepared for at all. And this is what she said. She said, I, I think this is really going to hurt you. But I need to tell you, I'm, I'm really unhappy with our marriage. Ooh. And gentlemen, I just want you to know I did an incredibly amazing male thing. I, um, I put the guilt chip down and I said, this isn't about me, this is about her. She's unhappy. Uh, sounds kind of male, right, ladies? And, then, and then, I, then I did this brilliant thing. I said, how can you be unhappy? See, how can you be unhappy? I've got a great job. We're in youth ministry. We've got a couple of kids. And it kind of sounded like this. How can you be unhappy? You're married to me. Which, of course, now we're getting close to the reason for our unhappiness. And, uh, and then my wife said something that until that time, I never had anyone say to me. I, I never, the words did not connect immediately. This is what she said. She was so well prepared. She said this, Bill, I want you to know that I'm really unhappy because we cannot have a marriage where only you get to love me. Why won't you let me love you? Why can't you trust me? 
So I've got a little line there. I want you to write this one-liner down. The degree. I want you to write this down. The degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me. No matter how much love you have for me. The degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me. No matter how much love you have for me. We all know John 3.16. For many of us is the first verse we memorized. Why doesn't the world know the love of God? Because they don't trust the God of love. God gives grace to the humble. The humble are those who trust God and others with who they are. Without trust, we will never know the love of God. I've got another line there. You can fill this in. A second degree statement. The, the degree to which I let you love me. The degree to which I let you love me. The degree to which I let you love me. Is the degree to which I will experience your love. I would never, to the best of my ability, ever minimize the significance of our wounding. That night, when my wife said those words to me that God has used to break my heart open, I want you to know something about me. I was a Christian 17 years at that point. Excuse me, 10 years at that point. I'd become a believer at 17. I grew up in a home in which both of my parents were alcoholics. And the state of Wisconsin took us as children away from our family. I didn't know how to trust. Grace's father is the man who introduced Christ into our home when we were little kids. He took us off of a playground and took us to a boys club. In 1992, I had the privilege of doing his funeral. And I was preparing his notes and I started to weep. And I said to my wife, look what I wrote here. Her dad's name is Gus Quint. I said, at eight years old, Gus Quint was the first person I met that I believed loved me at eight years old. Now what I'm saying to us is deeply we have been affected by relationships that have not worked. And I want to give you a caution. 
Do not let those relationships or that wounding rob you of your need to trust. Because it'll rob you of your ability to be loved. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 18. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to use a little parable that Jesus told to um, help us with this uh, process. And I'd like you just to listen real carefully to the words as I read them. He being Jesus, this is Luke 18 and 9, he being Jesus also told this parable, listen to these words, to some who trusted in themselves. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Uh, what would we know about them? If they trusted in themselves, what would we know about them? They lacked what? Humility. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Um, contempt is to act toward another without love. It's to act toward another without love. When I lack humility, I will put my trust in a righteousness that is not from God. When I lack humility, I will put my trust in a righteousness that is not from God. And the fruit of that righteousness will always be measured by how I treat you. When we receive Christ, we know that God, because of the righteousness that is in him, now in us, does something. Here's what I want us to hear. The great evidence that we are righteous is how well we love. The great evidence that we are righteous is how well we love. In the Gospel of John, listen to something Jesus never said. Jesus never said these words. The world will know you are my disciples because you sin less than they do. He never said those words. What is the great accusation to the Christian? The world says we are a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Because we've given them a message 
that righteousness is about how little we sin. Instead of a life where righteousness is how well we love. Righteousness is about how well we love. God gives grace to the humble. The humble are those who trust God with who they are. Love is that expression of the evidence that I belong to Jesus Christ. Now listen, listen to some of the attributes. You could see on your outline there. I want to just pick up a little bit on this person who chooses to trust in himself. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Just take a couple minutes with me now and what, what do we know about this Pharisee's values? What does he value? What does it say? What do we know about his values? He, he what? He trusts in himself. He has confidence in his righteousness. He believes he is a model of godliness. Isn't that interesting? He believes he is a model of godliness. That's his value. The best way to measure a model, the best way to measure a model is by his or her influence. That's the best way to measure a model. How would you measure his influence? Anybody. How would you measure his influence? What do you think others thought of him? Didn't like him. What about his thinking? What was he, what, what, what do you think? What about his thinking? How did he think? Those who trust in themselves, how do they think? Don't they think they're better than? Don't they think they're better than? they think a lot about themselves? Yeah, they do. What about their relationship with God? That's obvious. In his relationship with God, he has one determination. That's to please God. That's his one determination. I'm going to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. So let me just put this for us right now. God does not want us to please him as our primary motive. 
God wants us to trust him. Sometimes when Bruce or I do, a, or John, we'll do a pastor's conference like this, and I don't mean this to tease you, so don't raise your hands, but we will say, how many of you have excellence as a high value? Please don't raise your hands. How many of you have excellence as a high value? Excellence as a high value. Sometimes pastors will want to get their hand up high. And then I'll say to them, how many of you have humility as a high value in your church? The hands don't go up as quick. Now you may not agree with my next statement, but I want you to really think about it. God does not want our excellence. God wants our humility so he can give us his excellence. I was at Asbury Seminary two weeks ago meeting with a group of young leaders and um, I made that statement. And they spent several hours, I didn't know it, they spent several hours pondering that statement. So the next morning when we began our session, I said to the young group of leaders, I said to them, and what did you hear yesterday? And one guy shot up immediately. He said, I heard you say that God doesn't want our excellence. He wants our humility so he can give us his excellence. He said, I'm 26 years old. He said, I have spent the last years, eight years of my life learning how to become excellent. I don't know how to trust. I don't know how to trust. Look at the last one here. His relationship with others. Contempt, comparing. He's not like them and he does something. He judges them. He judges them. So I want to give you a little thought process that helps me. Sin in us will always sensitize us to the sin in others. Sin in us will always sensitize us to the sin in others. And when we have not experienced God's grace, that unresolved sin will cause us to judge the sin in others. Sin in us sensitizes us to the sin in others. But when the sin in us is unresolved, it'll cause us to judge the sin that we see in others. But God's grace in us also causes us to be sensitive to the sin in others. But because of his grace, it is resolved in us. We will move toward them with compassion. So I just gave you a good insight. If you know someone that judges others in their sin, it's a commentary of the unresolved sin in them. It's the disease of the legalist and the Pharisee and the Judaizer. So what am I saying? I'd like us to hear this tonight. 
as we go through our time together, how do we, how do we learn to trust? Talk about that with you these next couple of days. How do we learn to get into that opportunity where we are able as Christians to experience God's grace? So that we, as pastors and leaders and mates, could model for this world what it desperately needs is our love for one another. It desperately needs it. Without trust, we will not experience love. Without humility, we will not trust. My mind just thinks in terms of one-liner principles, so I can't help it. I'll give you another one. Truth without grace is informational. Only truth with grace is formational. Truth without grace is informational. Putting in tonight's lesson, truth with humility, because that is how God gives us grace. Truth with humility is formational. Knowledge, knowledge cannot transform us. Only truth can. But truth to transform us must be trusted. Must be trusted. When we do our, our teaching, our training, our, what we do, we'd love to have you participate with us. So every time I get a chance to share with you these couple of days, I'm going to ask you to participate with me. And in, right now we're going to hand out a, a, a little exercise that we have time to do this evening. And I'd like you to, to do it because what I'm going to ask us to do as I get a chance to work with you and share with you I'm going to ask you to engage with me in tools that will help us experience the process that we're going to be teaching. And this little worksheet is called Facing Expectations. And as you get it, I'll explain what I'd like you to do. You can do it right where you're sitting. I'd like you to try to do it in groups of three or four people. It's a simple little tool, but it'll get us talking. It'll get us engaged. And that's what I'd really like us to do tonight to get us talking and to get us engaged in what we're learning together. 
On one side of the paper is just, is just an example. It's called a sample worksheet. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to think about a story where someone you trusted lets you down. A story where your expectations were not met in a relationship. You don't have to tell us who. That's not important. But this is an example. You can see the unmet expectation. For some of you who are um, wanting to kind of see a broader picture, I'd like to suggest to you that there are three primary sources of all of our wounding. Three primary sources. When we are sinned against, when we sin, and when our expectations are not met. And I'd like you just to look at this as an example story. Because what happens when my expectation is not met, there is a pain of disintegration. I trusted this leader, this person, this parent, this friend, and they let me down. And I felt the pain, and I reacted. And I reacted. In every relationship where someone we trust violates our expectation, there is pain and reaction. And all of us have a story. What I'd like you to do tonight, I'd like you just to identify a story. It can be about any leader you choose, just don't name them. It can be about any person you choose. I'd like you to do that. And then I'd like you to sit in groups of three or four people right here, don't leave. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just share those short stories. And then I'll give you a quick little exercise at the very end. Okay? Just, just create. Just, on the back side, you can just take some notes. My unmet expectation, I trusted somebody, and I held this pain, and my reaction was this. Could you do that, please? Just take a couple minutes right where you're sitting and, and write out that little expectation that wasn't met. And you know the story you have in mind. It doesn't have to be very long. And then I'll have you share those stories in just a couple minutes. Go ahead and, and just start the process. Does everybody understand what you're going to do? You're just going to talk about a story where someone you trusted did not meet your expectation. Okay, that's the story. It can be anybody you choose. In the, in the context of ministry, that's fine. Okay, go ahead. Just take a couple minutes and write through a story. Write down a little bit about the story, what the pain was, and what your reaction was. People, just three or four people, that's all. Right where you're sitting, and, and what I'd like you to do is just share the essence of your story. What was the, set up the story? What was the pain? What was your reaction? Just sit, with, just sit with a couple other people and some of you can turn around and just, just say hello to each other and, and just start sharing the story. I'd like it to be more than two people. Make sure it's at least three people. Okay, um, what I'd like to do is um, just have us pause for a minute.
And, and because I, I really want to honor the time, because I am an audience when I'm not a speaker, and so as part of an audience, I'd like to honor the time. But so far, what are some of the themes or the issues that you've just been hearing about? What are some of the themes? What have you just been hearing? Big letdowns. What else? A broken, a broken trust in relationship. Something else. What have you heard? Reputations being damaged. A betrayal and hurt. A lot of withdrawal. An unwillingness to communicate. A lot of rejection. Those are the themes that we're hearing. How many of the stories that you've heard do you think have been resolved? No, none, none in this group. How about over here? My ears was. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. That's good. Most of them are not. When my unresolved issue with this brother, we both take it into our next relationship. We both take it into our next relationship. In the phenomenon of conflict, it is amazing how either side always finds an audience. Often, even if the two in conflict are reconciled, neither person is never reconciled with the audience. Trust is not just a one-on-one -on -one violation. Trust violates community. It violates community. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about relationships of trust and environments of grace. One of the reasons we have you do this exercise is because it gets you to talk with each other about common realities. Our goal, if you find this tool helpful, then use it. Just please keep the copyright on it. I'm not selling it to you. I want you to use it. Do you know the, the interesting thing about copyright? If you took the copyright off, somebody else could put it on, then I couldn't use it. So, so please keep it on there, okay? That's true. I'm just telling you. This is the way it works. Here's what, I'd, here's what I'd want us to do. I want us to pause for just a minute. I'm going to ask you a question. What did you hear, what did you hear Bill say tonight? I happen to be Bill. What, what, did you, what did you hear Bill say tonight? Don't look at your notes, just what did you hear me say? What did you hear me say?
There's a definite relationship between trust, trust and love. Thank you. What else did you hear me say? Humility is critical to what? To trust. Somebody else, what did you hear me say? Don't allow your wounding to keep you from trusting because it'll rob you of being loved. I'm supposed to entrust others with me. I'm supposed to entrust others with me. Now we just did a bunch of stories where trust was violated. Didn't we? And everybody went, hey, I got one, I got more than one, I got ten. I'll raise that, I'll give you fifteen more. <laughs> See? Now, I don't know if you've been in ministry more than two weeks, you learned something. Ministry is really hard. Do you know that it's really hard? Because the expectations are beyond what you can honor. They're just beyond what you can honor. So what we want to be really, really careful about, what I want to be really careful about is this. Can I learn, Mark, can I learn to establish a relationship with Mark where we are willing to earn each other's trust? If I came up to Mark and I said to him, Mark, hi, my name is Bill, you can trust me. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. <laughs> but you know what? So often in our roles, we create that expectation. We want to be leaders who are willing to earn the trust of those we influence. And I want to give you that as we close tonight. I want to give you this. When you as a leader are committed to earning the trust of those you influence, you will then have permission to love them. No one will give you permission to love them that doesn't trust you. No one. As a pastor and a leader, I not only want to be obedient to the Lord and loving you, I have a responsibility to teach you truth. You maybe have never thought the way I think. But the reason that many people are not maturing in our churches is because they are not believing the message because they don't trust the messenger. When I earn trust, I am given the privilege of teaching truth. 
Luke introduced to us a program tonight that has to do with mentoring. A primary function of mentoring is guidance. But without trust, there is no guidance. So as I think about our roles as leaders, I want to be that voice, at least one of the voices that is saying, the greatest gift anyone will ever give you is their trust. Honor it. Honor it. Because it is the doorway to teaching them truth, giving them love, and providing them guidance. Let me pray with you tonight, and then we have an announcement about some cookies. Let, let me pray with you. Father, thank you for tonight. I would pray, Father, that you would help us to hear tonight how critical it is that I resolve yesterday so I can trust tomorrow. Father, would you, through your spirit, convince us that we desperately need your grace. The Pharisee who trusted in himself, he didn't need your grace because he had you all figured out. Father, help us to trust you, to humbly trust God, so we could know you, Lord, and be loved by you, and to love you. Spirit of God, help us tonight. to hunger for the grace of God. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.